If you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 116, Psalm 116. This is a psalm that we went through, or briefly hit on, I guess, when we went through rest. I taught a Sunday school class a few months ago about rest. And we went through this psalm, at least a verse in it, because it had the word rest in the verse. Um, But whenever I I was going through and and looking at this psalm and preparing for that, I thought, wow, this, this psalm is amazing. If I, I want to go, go back and study it. And so when I got the chance to preach, it, it just made sense to go look at this um, and, and study it and, and share it with you. And the, the thing that struck me was the author's response to God's deliverance. And I thought, I want to have that same response. He talks about his love for God, his adoration of God, who he is and what he's done. Um, and then he devotes himself to God. And I thought, I, w- I want to do the same thing. I want to be just like this psalmist. And I think we all should be as believers. And so I hope that um, you are encouraged to do the same thing today. So let's read Psalm 116. We'll read the whole, whole psalm. So starting in verse 1. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. O may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So, I mentioned the the striking thing about this psalm and what the psalmist, how he responds to the Lord's deliverance. And um, he, it really is a psalm of praise. If you had to categorize this psalm, that's what it would be, a psalm of praise. Um, You can even note the last verse, he says, praise the Lord. So this is hallelujah, this is the word he's using. And so in this psalm, he professes his, his love for God. He promised to call upon the Lord for the rest of his life. He adores God's character and actions. He praises God for who he is. And he professes his devotion to God, desiring to express his thanks in some tangible way. And so, like I said, we all need to respond to God just like this. And so I hope that today we'll learn to love and be devoted to God because of his great salvation for us just like the psalmist did because God delivered him out of his great trouble. And so I've, I've titled the sermon, A Believer's Response. 
Um, so a lot of times when we think about Old Testament saints, we are wary of calling them believers, um, but it's very appropriate uh, because they believed what God told them, right? That's what the word means, believer. Uh, we believe uh, Christ. This is what God told us. This is the revelation that God has revealed in, through his son and through the apostles that we now believe. It's about Christ. If you think about, for example, Abraham, when God came to him and told him, uh, I'm going to give you a son, and it's going to be from you and Sarah, and I'm going to make your, your, your descendants great. Um, Abraham believed that. Right? He believed those things, what God said. And then God said, I'm counting you as righteous because of that, because you believe that. So this psalmist is the same way. He's believed the things that God has revealed to him. Um, he's a, an Israelite for sure, so he has you know, all the oracles of God. And so he's able to, to read those, to hear them, and believe uh, what God has said. So this, he's a believer. Um, and so anyway, applying that same deliverance, we'll get into what his deliverance is. It's not salvation. Um, but we can respond the same way because isn't our deliverance so much greater? His life was saved physically. Our life is saved spiritually, right? So how much greater is this salvation that we have? And how much greater should our response even be than this psalmist? So anyway, I hope, hope you learned that. I hope you're encouraged to do that uh, today. So before we get into the text, there's a couple things just in lieu of background that I want to go over. So uh, concerning the author and the occasion for this psalm, and uh, in fact, both of those things we don't really know. Uh, it's a, an anonymous psalm. So a lot of times in the psalms, there's a superscription, and this psalm doesn't have one. But if you um, just flip back to Psalm 110, you'll see that right before verse 1, it says a psalm of David. Um, and so this psalm doesn't have that. Whenever you see this in the psalm, this is actually in, in the manuscripts, the original manuscripts have this uh, superscription. It's part of God's word. And a lot of times it'll tell us who wrote the psalm and, and what the occasion was. Well, our, our psalm has neither of those things. Um, so we're not sure who wrote it. A lot of people think that it was David because some of these verses are really similar to other psalms that David wrote. And you know, you know David was scared of enemies killing him on many occasions, so he wrote similar things like this. And so people think, well, David might have wrote this. Um, but it could have been that this was a later psalmist who read some of David's psalms, felt just like David because he was going through a similar thing and, and paraphrased what David said. Um, so whatever the case, you know, we're not sure. We can't be sure who the author is. The other thing is the occasion for the psalm. Like I mentioned, we also don't know that. We don't know exactly why the psalmist had such deep sorrow and grief. Uh, it, he just doesn't tell us. But he does tell us how he feels because of what he's going through. And I just, I, I'm going to read you the things through the psalm that he says concerning how he feels. He says, The cords of death encompassed me. The tears of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. I was brought low. You, talking to the Lord, have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I believed when I said, I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. And so this gives you uh, insight into his emotions, his feelings. You know, this is, this is real. A lot of times, in, especially in the more reformed circles, we're, we're analytical, we, um, and we kind of brush off feelings sometimes. And in, in one sense, it's appropriate because people let their feelings control everything they do. We don't want to do that. Um, but at the same time, feelings are real. 
right? We really feel the way we do, and they impact us. And that's one of the great things about the Psalms is we really get a window into these saints' heart, into their feelings, their emotions, their soul, and we can connect with them. And we can say, oh, it's appropriate to feel the way I feel. This really difficult time going through, it's appropriate to feel that way. It's what you do with those feelings that is important. So whatever the psalmist was going through, we're not sure what it was, he felt like he was going to die, right? And he, he says that. Uh, maybe it was due to an enemy that was chasing him, similar to what David went through. But he never mentions any enemy. So it's more likely that he was going through some other great trial, maybe even trouble, trouble due to sin in, in his own life. We can't be perfect, uh, totally sure about what he's going through. Um, but again, we can relate. And we can respond the same way when God helps us through our own trouble. So the title of this message is a believer's response of love, praise, and devotion because of God's deliverance. And so there's three parts in this psalm. Um, if, you, if you have an NASB, there's, there's um, bolded verse, uh, verse numbers, and so those are paragraphs. So I'm just going to take this paragraph by paragraph. There's three paragraphs in this psalm. Um, the first paragraph is about the psalmist's love of the Lord because he saved his life. That's verse 1 through 4. The second one is the psalmist's adoration of the Lord. That's verse 5 through 11. And then verse 12 through 19 is the psalmist's devotion to the Lord. So we'll go through each one of those. So first, the psalmist's love of the Lord because he saved his life. And so the first thing we come to is him expressing his love towards God. He says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. So of course... Israel was commanded to love God, right? In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This love is an affection. It's a desire for someone else. And this affection is because there's a close relationship, because you know each other. The, the psalmist knows God, and God knows the psalmist. The psalmist cherishes the Lord. He, call, he calls him Yahweh. This is the special name that Israel had for God because it's, it's focusing on the fact that God has made a covenant with Israel. And the Lord also knows the psalmist. If you look at the next phrase in this verse, after I love the Lord, he says, because he hears my voice and my supplications. So God's listening to the prayers of this psalmist. Have you ever been talking to a close friend or maybe a spouse, you know, someone who's supposed to love you, and you're, you're talking, you're telling them a story or whatever, and all of a sudden you realize they're not paying attention at all. Either they're, they're looking over at another conversation and kind of listening to that, or their phone's distracting them, or maybe they just are daydreaming, and they just totally lost focus on what you're saying. God isn't like this with his people. He never loses focus. He never gets distracted. In fact, if you look at verse 2, it says, because he has inclined his ear to me. So what's he doing? God's leaning over, cupping his hand, making sure he hears his people. That's, that's what God thinks. That's how God feels about his people and their prayers. He's so concerned that he inclines his ear to us. That's a wonderful thing. If you think about the God of the universe who created everything, cares that much about us, that he'll incline his ear to us. And so there's something that the psalmist will do because God has inclined his ear to him. He says, therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. This 
might remind you of the Israelites when they were in slavery in Egypt. They did the same thing, right? They were in great distress, and they called out to God. So Exodus 2.23 says, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. So see here, God both hears them and cares enough to take notice. He's going to do something about it. It's the same way with this psalmist. God heard the psalmist cry. So we as New Testament believers are commanded to do a similar thing, right? In Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we should act just like this psalmist. If there's a time in our life where um, we're going through great trouble, we should rely on God. We should call out to God because he's the one who can help. So the psalmist loved the Lord and devoted himself to always calling on him. He made this promise. Because the Lord is like this, I'm going to do this for my whole life. Right? I trust him so much that I'm, gonna, I'm just going to commit. I'm always going to go to the Lord in time of need. And so that's what he did here. So that's his love. So the next thing we see is his great trouble in verse 3 through 4, the psalmist's great trouble. Verse 3 says, The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I beseech you, save my life. So as I mentioned, we don't know the exact circumstances of what this psalmist was going through. But whatever the case, he felt like he was going to die. That's how difficult the trouble was. That's how hard the situation was that he was going through. He felt like he was going to die. Uh, David spoke similar words after God delivered him from his enemies and Saul. So Psalm 18.4 says, The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. You can see how similar the language is. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. So the way the psalmist in Psalm 116 and David talk about death and Sheol, they're, they're like hunters who ensnare someone, uh, an animal. They trapped him. Um, with cords, you know, tying them up, binding them. And here, Sheol means the grave, so it's where people go when they die. The psalmist felt trapped, like he might die, like those cords were going to bring him into the grave, right, pull him down into the ground. This led to his terror, anguish, distress, sorrow. He's describing a state of very unfavorable circumstances. We're not sure what they are, but very unfavorable. And the emotional pain and grief of the situation made him feel like this. He was in deep anguish. So you might have experienced a circumstance like this. Things that could lead us to feel like this are the death of a spouse or a child or a loved one, a chronic illness, a really difficult injury, even transitioning from a child into adulthood. Right? You don't fit in either category. It can be very difficult. It can be uh, hard. Uh, maybe you got a fatal prognosis. Maybe you have a rebellious child. Maybe you're in a very difficult marriage or have even gone through a divorce. A loss of job can also cause something like this. 
maybe even your lack of assurance of faith, of your own faith, struggling through that. Maybe wrestling with sin. Maybe there's a sin that just has you captive and you can't seem to break out of it. The sorrow is what drove him to call on the name of the Lord. He calls on the one of renown, right? The one with authority, with power, the one who can actually help. He calls on God. God can do whatever he wants. But he also cares. He cares for his people. He has great compassion for his people. And the psalmist prays God for this attribute later. We'll get into it in a little bit. So then he says, O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. It could be translated, please, God, save my life. He's begging God to deliver him from his trouble, from his great sorrow. So are you ready to respond in the same way as the psalmist, calling on the name of the Lord uh, when you're in great need? If you want to be ready, call on him now. Rely on his help for all things, daily praying for his help. Um, His help to be like him in your own character. His help to run from sin, for boldness to preach Christ at every opportunity, and for help in every little trouble in your life now. Because this is the thing, when it comes to the big trouble, the great trouble that brings you down, if you're not in practice of doing this, it might take you a while to come to God and realize you need his help. But if you you have the practice, if you understand our dependence on God before you reach that great trouble, you'll be ready. You'll have the faith. You'll have seen God act, seen God take care of you through the other little things. So then, then you can have the big faith that you need to rely on him to help you with the big things. So after accounting his prayer, the psalmist jumps into praise and adoration of the Lord for who he is and what he's done. So that comes, brings us to the second paragraph here, the psalmist's adoration of the Lord in verses 5 through 11. And first we see his confession of the Lord's character. He says, gracious is the Lord and righteous, yes, our God is compassionate. So the psalmist highlights three of God's attributes here, his, his grace, his righteousness, and his compassion. And he doesn't choose these three, um, these three attributes at random. He's not just picking stuff out of a hat. These attributes relate to how God's dealing with the psalmist. So he's picking these intentionally. They're appropriate for what he's going through and what God has done. God has displayed these three attributes to the psalmist. He's experienced them. So he has experienced God's graciousness. So the fact that God gives his people what they haven't earned. The psalmist did not earn deliverance from his trouble, yet God granted it, answering his supplication because he's gracious. He has also experienced God's righteousness, that God is incapable of doing anything wrong. All he does is right. In this case, the psalmist really, upon faith, trusts that God's dealing with them was right. So he, he's not saying, well, yeah, God saved me, and, and he should have because I'm worth it. That's not what he was saying. He's saying that God did what is right. If God would have decided to do something different, the psalmist would have said the same thing, that God is righteous because he's a godly man. His faith is what led him to say that. However, God did respond to his plea, and he did answer his request. He did save him from his trouble. He also experienced God's great compassion in this deliverance, that God takes pity on us. We're weak. We're delicate. 
we need a lot of help. And he shows us mercy and love. And he, he did that to this psalmist. He showed him his mercy and love. In his compassion, he heard the psalmist in his great sorrow. And with great care, the Lord saved the psalmist from his trouble. God has the same care and concern for us in our sorrow and grief. So we need to run to him as well when we're in need. I think the psalmist probably had in mind uh, maybe what God said to Moses. Remember, Moses wanted to see God's face. And so God said, okay, I'll, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by. And this is what God said in Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And, and this is what he said earlier, a few verses later. He said, I pray you show me your glory. So that's what he wanted God to do. And then God passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. This is probably what the psalmist had in mind as he was uh, recounting these attributes of God that God displayed and that he experienced from God through his deliverance. If you're a believer, you've experienced these same attributes. So if you want, you can turn to Titus 3. We'll read a few verses. Titus 3, uh, verse 4 is where we'll start. Titus 3, 4 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, right, that's his compassion, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And even in our salvation god has displayed his righteousness and his justice so romans 3:25 says talking about jesus whom god displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of god he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration i say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus so what paul's saying here is that God didn't just say, okay, I'm going to forget about everyone's sin, and I'm just going to let them in to heaven. Um, that wouldn't be righteous. That wouldn't be right. God was still just even when he forgave us of our sins because Christ paid the price, right? Christ took our spot. Christ paid the debt that our sin had. And so God is just. God is righteous. This is the character of God. The psalmist knew this. And he was experiencing it through his deliverance. And the psalmist confesses it because he knows who God is and he believes that he is the one, he is who he says he is, right? He has faith. So after his confession of God's character, he goes on to confess the Lord's actions. But again, he experienced himself. So his confession of the Lord's actions, and there's really two, he, he preserves and he rescues in verses 6 through 11. So first, the Lord preserves Verse 6 says, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. The psalmist here proclaims that the Lord preserves the simple. That is, he guards, he protects, he keeps safe those who can't protect themselves. And the reason that they can't protect themselves is uh, because they're simple. <laughs> because we're simple, we're foolish. Uh, we lack prudence, we lack wisdom a lot of times to do the things that we should. 
when it comes down to it, we can't take care of ourselves, right? We need God's help. According to Psalm 19:7, God's word is what gives the simple wisdom. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So in the psalmist situation, this lack of wisdom could be what led him to this great trouble. Um, it's definitely what brought him low. He was in a, a state of being feeble, weak, unable to lift himself up out of whatever it was that he was in, whatever the circumstance but he knew who was able, right? He knew that God was able, the Lord. He had the power to save him from his condition, from his grief and sorrow. God lifted him out. He was strong when the psalmist was weak. And after his deliverance, the psalmist was able to say in verse 7, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So one commentator says, What is rest for the pious soul? It's not the promised land, but God himself his word, his covenant, his perfections, his providence, his worship, confidence in him, reliance on him. So the psalmist rested because of the way God dealt with him in one sense, right? Because he saved his life. He dealt bountifully with his soul is the way he said it. God did good for his soul. But his rest at the root of it is grounded in the Lord and who he is because he knows he's trustworthy. He knows that he's compassionate. He's the one who delivered he could have rest in the deepest recesses of his emotions and inner being because of who God is. That's why he could rest. Not only does the psalmist experience the preservation of God, but he also experiences his rescue. And God rescues him in a complete way. He rescues completely. Uh, this is the second action of God that the psalmist praises him for. And really this action is God's preservation at work in the psalmist's life. How he experiences the fact that God preserves the simple. Um, verse 8 says, For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So the Lord preserved him by rescuing him. And he rescued him in two ways, or three ways, from death, his eyes from tears, and his feet from stumbling. You see those three phrases in verse 8. So let's take each of those. So he saved him from death. So this is whatever great trouble he was in, he felt like he was going to die. He was so sorrowful, had so much grief, he felt like he was going to die. And God rescued him from that. He took away whatever that was, the circumstance that he was in. He took him out of it. And so he no longer had that fear of death. So he rescued him from it. He also rescued him from sorrow. Note he says, my eyes from tears. So the extreme sadness and grief that he notes later in verse 10, uh, the affliction, And even this connects back to verse 3 where he talks about the terrors of Sheol. So this terrors can be translated affliction, just this idea that I feel pulled down. I feel like I'm going to die. Things are so bad. Um, he might have even been depressed. In this condition, he stated even all men are liars uh, in verse 11. So what he's saying there is that when I was down in this, uh, when I was brought low, when I was so hurt, so troubled, there was no one that I could rely on. I couldn't go to anybody. No one would help me. In fact, these people, these liars, might have even been saying, God can't help you. You're, you're too far gone. He won't help you. Um, he couldn't trust anybody but God. So God rescued him from that sorrow. 
Also, the Lord rescued him in a third way. He rescued him from straying in his devotion to God. Notice he says, my feet from stumbling. So it seems like the psalmist felt like if he would have continued down this road, if, if God would have left him in this great trouble, he, he couldn't not sin, right? He would, have, he would have strayed from God. He would have maybe lost trust. He would have, um, he would have sinned. But God stopped that as well. So God rescued him in the sense that he pulled him out of that, that sorrow, so he could continue to follow God. And when we talk about God's preservation, right, that he keeps us as believers till the end, right, he doesn't let us lose our faith, this, I think, maybe gives us a window a little bit into how he works. He's thinking about, you know, what, what we can go through, what we can take. He's, he's helping us through all that. So that should be a great comfort to all of us. And so this rescuing that God did had its intended result. So if you look at verse 9, it says, he shall walk, right? He can use his legs like he's still alive. He can walk around. But he walks in, in two ways. He, um, tell, this verse tells us how and where he will walk. So how will he walk? Well, the psalmist will walk now before the Lord. So he's not only still living, being, being able to use his legs, but he's able to do it in a way where he follows God. He obeys his commands. He fears God appropriately. God fixed his stumbling feet that wanted to stray from walking in God's ways, and now he can do that. He can follow God. This also tells us where he will walk. Well, in the land of the living. Right? He lives. He walks on earth. God rescued him from death, and so he walks amongst others who live on, the, on this earth. God didn't let these cords of death pull him down into the grave. So in response to his deliverance from God so far, we've seen the psalmist's love and adoration of his character and actions relating to this deliverance. And now we come finally to the psalmist's devotion to the Lord. The psalmist's devotion to the Lord. So this is in verse um, 12 through 19. So verse 12 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And the rest of the psalm really answers this question. So the psalmist is saying, what can I give back? How can I offer thanks to God? So what he's not saying is, I want to pay for what God gave me. He's not trying to kind of retroactively earn this deliverance. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm so thankful. What can I do to show God how thankful I am? And really, that's the question we should ask if we're a believer. I'm so thankful for this salvation that God gave me because there's no one else I can find it in but Christ. How can I thank God for what he's done for me? Like, that should be our attitude as believers. And so let's see how the psalmist um, thanks God for what he's done. So first, he offers a drink offering. He gives a drink offering. This is in verse 12 through 14. He says, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. So there are three things the psalmist does in these two verses. He lifts, he calls, and he pays. So the three verbs, right, that we see in these two verses. And we'll go through each of those. So first he says, I shall lift up the cup of salvation. So this first phrase, I shall lift up the cup of salvation, is really like a, a poetical way to say, I'm going to give a drink offering so a drink offering was a liquid offering, usually wine or strong drink, that was poured out next to the altar during uh, an animal sacrifice. 
and uh, people would, would do this as an offering of thanksgiving. So Numbers 28.7 says, it's describing this drink offering, then the drink offering with it, being with the animal sacrifice, shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. So you see people throughout the Old Testament do this. For example, Jacob did it in Genesis 35. So this is right after God reiterated his covenant to Abraham to Jacob. Um, and Jacob, in verse 14 of Genesis 35, it says, He set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. So here he's thanking God for that covenant, thanking God for keeping his promise. So the cup here held the drink offering, right? This cup of salvation. And the, the salvation in the cup would have been the, the deliverance that the psalmist experienced from God. He held it up to the Lord, right? He, he's saying, thank you for this. Thank you for what you did to me. And he's offering that drink offering to God. So the next verb here is call. He says, I shall call upon the name of the Lord. So remember he did this back in verse 2. Um, he called on the name of the Lord because he was about to die. Uh, but this type of call is a little bit different, right? It's in relation to his, uh, to his offering. It's a call of thanksgiving. It's, it's like what we do when we pray every morning here, every Sunday morning. That's part of our prayer is thanksgiving. We thank God for who he is and for the things that he's done. And specifically even for us, right? It's a personal thing. We, thank, we can thank God for what he's done for us. Because we know who God is. If we're believers, he's saved us. And so we can thank God for that. And so that's what this psalmist is doing. He's calling upon the Lord with thanksgiving and praise. Because of all the benefits that God bestowed on him. So the next verb is pay. He says, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. And this was pretty common throughout the Psalms. Like if you go read through the Psalms, psalmists are always talking about their vows that they're going to pay towards the Lord. It was pretty common. Uh, David did it, and so in Psalm 22:25, this is right after, again, he was rescued from his enemies. He says, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. David also said it after the Philistines captured him in Psalm 56:12. Your vows are binding up upon me, O God. I render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. So sometimes you get the sense that uh, in the midst of the trouble, these psalmists were saying, if you save me, I'm going to devote my life to you, right? And people do that today as well. Um, and sometimes you get the sense that it was after the, after the fact, after they got rescued from their enemy or brought up out of this great tr trial, trouble, then they made their vow to God and said, I'm going to give you thanks for what you did. So you, you can have either of those. And we're not sure, you know, if the psalmist did this before or after, but whatever the case, he's vowing to the Lord. Um, and making vows really has the idea of promised gifts, right? You're promising to give things back to God. And you might think, you know, why? Like, what, what, what can I give God? What's a gift to God? He doesn't need anything. But even in the Old Testament, you see through these sacrifices, right, when God smelled the burnt offerings, it was a soothing aroma to him, and he liked it. Um, and so the psalmist knew this. He, he knew what God was like. He knew what God commanded, and so he was going to do what God said to do. And he was going to thank God in the way that God told people to thank him. Um, so it's not like, you know, the offering of strange fire. 
that we read about, where they, they just, they tried to do an offering, but they didn't do it like God said, and so God struck them down. This, this psalmist actually knew how God wanted us to come before him, come before him and thank him. And so we can really do the same thing, right? We can read God, God's word. We can understand how he wants us to um, thank him to, and really uh, offer sacrifices to him as believers. That's really our obedience to him. That's how he wants us to, to pay him back, to pay a vow to him, is to obey him. So the psalmist will pay vows to the Lord. So the second way the author devotes himself to God is in his service, in his service to the Lord. And this is in verses 15 through 16. So verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. I'm just going to start in verse 16 first. So he says, I'm your servant. He says it twice in verse 16. So what he's saying is, my life is yours. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do the things that you say. I'm committed to honoring you the rest of my life. And he even notes that he's, the, his, he's God's handmade son. So here he's saying that my mom did the same thing. She devoted herself to you. She made a vow to you. She was your servant. And just like her, I'm doing the same thing. What a blessing to have a parent that you can look to and say, I want, I'm going to be like her. I'm going to do the same thing as my dad or my mom. Um, it's a blessing to be in a family with other believers. And there's a reason that he's doing this. There's a reason that he's saying, I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to follow you. It's because you have loosed my bonds, right? That's what he says at the end of verse 16. So the, the cords of death, of Sheol that held him down, God cut those off. You know, he rescued the psalmist from this trouble. And it's interesting, too, because the psalmist gives reasons through the psalm as to why God rescued him. He says in, that God is gracious, he's righteous, he's compassionate, he preserves the simple. So he's given these reasons, but then in verse 15, he gives this other reason. And at first it might seem a little out of place. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And so, of course, he's not saying that God likes the death of his godly ones. That's not what he's saying. He's saying rather that God sees the death of one of his children as different than the death of an unbeliever. So first of all, there's a difference. The death of a believer is weightier, their life more highly valued, because of the great affection and compassion God has for his children. Ephesians 5.1 says that we are his beloved children. And so our death is not a light matter for God. Always remember this. It is precious because he cares so much for his people. So the psalmist is saying that God loosed his bonds because of this fact, that the death of his faithful ones are precious in his sight. And the psalmist is in this category. He's a godly one, and God rescued him from death. It wasn't God's timing for him to die. It wasn't God's plan. God had other plans for him, and so he wasn't going to let him die. He wasn't going to let him 
continue suffering this trouble. He wasn't going to let him stray into sin because maybe that's what this trouble would cause. He lifted him out. He rescued him. He saved him because God is compassionate and because that was God's plan. So are you a godly one of God? Are you a servant of God? If not, call on the name of the Lord for salvation, for forgiveness of sin. Understand who you are before God. Understand that just like the psalmist knew that he could not go to any of his friends just to God for help, that's the only place you can go. There's no other person, no other prophet, no one who you can go to who can save you but Christ. God is a judge, and you have sinned, and if you don't go put your faith in Christ and put on that sin, you are not a godly one of God. Christ died to forgive you. Call on him. Consider what Romans 10, 11 says. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. I, what, this psalmist wasn't disappointed. He believed in God. He believed in God's compassion and his grace. And look what God did. He saved him from his trouble. And then verse 12, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the Lord for God's mercy. So the final devotion that we see here from the psalmist is his sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's in verses 17 through 19. So 17 says, To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. O may it be in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So you might notice the end of verse 17 and 18 is on just like the previous verses we read in 13 and 14. They are, word for word, they're the same. Um, So the psalmist starts saying, I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So this offering would be an animal sacrifice. It's a blood sacrifice. So if you look in Leviticus chapter 3, this would be the same thing as a peace offering. So the person brought a bull, cow, lamb, or goat to the door, doorway of the tabernacle, and they put their hand on the head of the animal, and then they killed it. And then they brought the animal in, and the, the priest would have burned it on the altar. This is the same thing the psalmist will do. Again, he's giving his thanks to God, and he's giving his thanks in the way that God commanded him to do. And that will please the Lord. And then notice in verse 19 that he'll offer this sacrifice where? In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. So he will go to the temple to do this because he needs the altar. He needs the the priest to help with this sacrifice. So again, he's going to do it God's way. He's going to do it the way that God commanded him to do. Um. And so, yeah, verse 13 and 14 I mentioned are repeated for the most part here because he's saying the same thing over again. I'm going to call upon you. I shall pay my vows to the Lord, and I'm going to do it in the presence of all his people. The idea here is that he's not giving his thanksgiving in secret. Um, He's letting everyone know. He's letting everyone know how thankful he is to God because of what God did, because of God's deliverance. And then he closes with these words, praise the Lord. Again, hallelujah is the word here. He knew who saved him. The only one who's gracious, who's righteous, who's, who's compassionate, who preserves the simple, who values the lives of his people as precious. 
This is the God that he's praising. He's praising the Lord for what he did and who he is. So let's just think a little bit about application, how we apply this to our lives. I already mentioned that you know, this psalmist was rescued from a great trouble. We're not sure what, but it was a physical one. Um, if we're a believer, we've been rescued in an even greater way. God, God rescued us in salvation from death and hell. Um, and so let's talk about how, how we should respond to this. So if you remember last week, Brian um, preached on First Peter, and he challenged us at the end. He had a challenge for unbelievers and for believers. And at the end he said, as believers, in light of that great salvation, we need to praise the Lord, walk in the joy of our salvation, and have hope of heaven. And so two of these things are actually addressed in this psalm. Praising the Lord and walk, right? Walk in the joy, walk in obedience. Uh, joy being one of those things we're commanded to do. So the author goes into the first two things in this psalm. Because God delivered him from his sorrow and grief. So we can apply this psalm to us. And so the first thing that the psalmist does is he loves the Lord. He just says that right at the beginning. And we spent a lot of time talking about how God loves us, and we should because the bulk of Scripture with the word loving is talking about God's love towards us. But we're also commanded, right, to love him. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. We're commanded to love God. And I feel like, I like for me, I don't say it often when I pray. I'm not like this psalmist when he just, that's the first thing he says, I love the Lord. I love you, Lord. It's just almost not in my like prayer vocabulary, but I want it to be. So listen to these verses where in the epistles we're talked about, it addresses how we should love God or that we should love God. So Ephesians 6, 24 says, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. James 1.12 said, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then James 2.5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? 1 Peter 1.8 says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And then finally, 1 John 5.1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So I think a lot of times we, you know, we take 1 John 5, which says the, the way we love God is obey his commands, and we strive to do that, and that's good. But I think we should also profess our love to God. It's, we, we can tell him that, right? We can feel free to say, I love you, Lord. So another, a second way that we should respond to God's great salvation as believers is praise the Lord. Praise him for hearing your prayer of repentance and faith in Christ. That's what this psalmist took a long time saying that, right? Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for inclining your ear to me. We can praise God in the same way. He did that for us. When we came to him in our repentance, telling him we're putting our faith in Christ, he heard that prayer. Thank him for that. Praise him for his character, his kindness, love, and mercy, his grace, 
again, I'm pretty sure I read Titus 3 uh, earlier, but just go through that passage. You know, all these characteristics of God that are concerned with the salvation that he gave us, praise him for those things. Praise him for his kindness, for his love, for his righteousness, his compassion and mercy. Praise him for those things that are related to the experience that he has shown you. And then third and final is walk before the Lord. Obey him, right? Know his commands and observe his commands. Serve him, serve the church. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So walk before the Lord, follow him, obey his commands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that by it we can see such intimate and sweet emotion from your people and that we can learn from them, learn how to respond to your grace, your character, your love, your deliverance. And I pray that you help us to do what the psalmist did, that you help us to love you, that you help us to serve you, to adore you, to praise you, to be devoted to following you, not to be distracted with uh, the world, with so many things that seek to take our attention away from you, but instead help us to be devoted to you and in following you. And I pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.